Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Thank you. Anyway, let me just open my... You know, I heard this story. Uh, it's a great story. Uh, there's a big argument uh, in heaven. Because this goes this black guy up there, and this white guy, and this Hispanic guy. And there's a big argument because they're talking about, uh, you know, Jesus is black, Jesus is white. You know, so black guys say, no, Jesus is black. And the white guy says, Jesus is white. And all of a sudden, the door opens up, and there comes the Lord Jesus. He enters in the room, and he says, buenos dias. You know, so Jesus is Latino. Anyway, so I tell my wife, which is American, that that's the language of heaven. So, but you're going to notice I have a little bit of a Ricky Ricardo accent because I was born and raised in Cuba. And um, uh, when I was about four years old, they used to play the American cartoons in Cuba. Those of you who were born there may understand that, but I didn't understand a thing. So I remember I said to my mom, I want to learn English. And my dad worked so hard to pay this professor 20 pesos a month to be able to teach me English. And my dad said to me, I'm going to uh, pay this for you because one day you're going to live in America, you're going to marry an American woman, you're going to have American kids, and you're going to be changing the world using the English language. Now, when he said that to a six or seven-year-old boy, that really made a lot of sense. But it today's remind me the power of the spoken word. You know, there's something supernatural that happens when you intentionally declare something that you believe with all of your heart upon the life of your children, your family. And uh, it happened just exactly as my dad I mean, said. So I'm here today just to share some things with you. And I really have to say that uh, it is a privilege for me to be here in this house of worship. Uh, you're truly a beautiful people. I've been in many places in the world. I've been in a lot of places in Miami, speaking in a lot of churches. Uh, but I really love this place. I have great respect for Pastor Joaquin and for Pastor Yvette. They're wonderful people. And uh, you are really, you're really privileged. Let me tell you something I learned. Uh, their relationships are like the buttons in an elevator. It depends on which one you push, you either go up or down. So uh, they're very meaningful in your life. And as you get older and you mature and you begin to understand those things, you really treasure and value good people around your life. You really, that's one of the greatest treasure. And uh, to have a good wife is a good thing. The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. You know, uh, so I'm a blessed man. I have a good wife. I have great children. I have a great mom. I have uh, great people around me, but one of the greatest blessings is that I had a great pastor. My pastor, Paul Sink, is a man that I really learned. He was a man of excellence, and he always taught me that excellence will cost you what mediocrity will save you. You know, you have to strive to have excellence in your life, but it really pays off. I remember this guy, the, the uh, director of Harvard University, on one occasion, somebody was complaining that education was too expensive, and he says, if you think that education is expensive, go ahead and try ignorance. You know, so I really think that this is a great ministry. And uh, I connected with Pastor Joaquin so much. And for me, I have no words to describe what an honor it is for me to cover for him this morning. I know the responsibility. I know that he is a man, not only a man of a very intense man, he's a sincere, transparent man. And that's one of the greatest virtues that you can find uh, in today's culture uh, where people don't tend to be who they say they are. Uh, so I was praying this morning to 
be able to be a blessing to you in this place. And um, I'm not going to bring you a teaching or anything. I'm going to talk to you about the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Uh, but before I do that, I want my wife to come up here. I want her to say hi. Uh, usually, I usually say that out of respect for her. This is my wife, Kim. Good morning. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping him with you this morning. We just want to thank you for extending the invitation. And I just know that God has got some really good things for the people of God this year. How many of you are believing for breakthroughs this year? Knowing that God and all of his promises are yes and amen. Is that right? And so the more that you declare and speak over your family, your finances, your purpose in life, you will begin to see the things of God come alive in your heart and begin to see those things in actual manifestation. So we're just here to encourage you this morning to believe God for his best. Everything that you believe God for, he says, yes, it's for you. So you know what? We got to get our believer just working this year because 2014 is the year for you. Amen. God bless. Thank you, honey. Thank you. Appreciate it. I also have my boys, Josh and Caleb. I'm not going to ask you to stand up here, but can you stand up for people to see you, how gorgeous and how handsome you are? <laughs> These are my twin boys, uh, Joshua and Caleb, and they're a miracle of God. Uh, but anyway, my wife and I had had the privilege uh, to travel uh, to about 40 nations, uh, over 26 years of ministry, and we have undertaken about 150 mission trips combined. Uh, in all those years and when you do that you really learn uh, you see so many good things you see other things that are not that good uh, but uh, what you really do is that you learn to see God's grace God's power God's mercy God's wisdom God's knowledge operating through so many different cultures through so many different people and you see how awesome and how extraordinary it is to be in partnership with God uh, serving God is just the greatest thing that you could possibly do in your life. You could do many things that are good, but nothing compares to the ability to be in partnership with the creator of the universe to bring about the greatest thing in life, which is the knowledge of Christ to a dying and hurting world. There's nothing like that. I mean, nothing compares like that. And I uh, purposely here in my heart brought some things today. And I have to say that it's been years that I don't speak consistently in English. When we moved to Miami about... Five years ago, we had a church in Jacksonville called Resurrection Life Church in English, and we came down here. And when I came down here, people thought I was Argentinian or Uruguayan because uh, my accent from Cubano accent had changed so much. I was pronouncing the S's. I was speaking very properly, you know, and uh, because I was surrounded by Colombians and Americans up there, my mom used to say to me, you talk weird. That's when she used to, I used to go to Cuba. She said, you talk very weird. What are you doing? And I had no idea. But from being surrounded by English people, my accent Spanish improved tremendously because I was conscious of speaking, you know, with the V's and the B's and all that. But when I came to Miami, it didn't take a week. You know, I was as Cuban as I get. You know, so um, I, you know, my mom lives with me, you know, so many friends and things like that. So um, it's taken me about uh, six years to be able to get back to Spanish. And I told my wife, tomorrow I have to speak the first service in English. So I hope people understand. She said, you have no accent. When I said, yeah, I do have an accent in English. She said, you don't pick it up anymore because you live with me for 20 years. But uh, I really want to have a, something this morning that will make you aware of the potential that you have when you bring God's idea to the center of your heart. You know, and you say, this is what I want to do. Uh, in the 1300s, Jewish people, because of the prohibition in the second commandment, thou shalt not have any graven image before me. 
uh, Jewish people could not express uh, either their art or their thoughts like the European people did through painting and sculpture. You know, if you see a lot of religious literature of uh, the 1300, 1200 in the Renaissance, you know, you see a lot of sculptures and painting, depictions of heaven, of hell, angels, archangels, uh, God, all this type of stuff. They express their religious concern, their religious ignorance, and their religious virtues by means of art. But because Jewish people had a express prohibition command uh, on Exodus, when God said, "Thou shall not have any graven image of anything that is above in heaven, on earth, or under earth. The Jewish people didn't write. Very seldom you see Jewish painters or uh, people that depicted images. What Jewish people did is that they concentrated in the written word. They wrote their ideas and they perfect their ideas because the power about truth, the thing that is good about truth is not that it's liberating. Truth to be liberating cannot be said only once. It has to be said several times. Repetition is that it has to be said over and over again. It has to be expanded, enlarged, enriched, illustrated in order to really uh, uh, change and impact somebody. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's not just true what sets you free. It's the knowledge of truth. If you don't get to discover it, I mean, it's not going to bring any freedom. So that's why Jewish people are such, they're so very good attorneys. They're extremely good attorneys. They articulate truth in such a way. Most of the, uh, uh, when you go and hire an attorney, uh, most of the paperwork is almost written by Jewish people. They really perfect the art of writing. So the reason why I say that is because the Bible, there's a Bible verse here that I love that says that his divine power, uh, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know, and I believe that you don't need anything. You, you have it all inside. It just needs to be activated. And then he, he says that that divine power by, uh, by means of virtue and knowledge, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises, we might become partakers of the divine nature. And if you notice that, God loves for you and me to partake of the divine nature. In other words, years ago, because, you know, you grow in the revelation of the Lord. When you begin to see God, you acquire a lot of knowledge. As you begin to grow, you begin to find revelation. And the revelation really, it changes you. It transforms you. It empowers you. You know, so years ago, I used to think that I was a sinner. Because in the church I grew up, they tell me all the time, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. But later on, I understood that, yes, even though I was a sinner, now God sees me as a renewed creation, as a new creation in Christ. So, you know, I thought instead of calling myself a sinner, I'm going to call myself a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation with the idea that God wants me to partake of his divine nature. There's something that I teach a lot in seminars. It's called the law of the most dominant image. And that law states that your life will always go in the direction of your most dominant image. The thing that you constantly have in front of you, images are very powerful. You go into that direction. So I usually tell people how powerful it is to get inside of you the idea of an all-powerful, almighty God. That when it comes, when it comes and dwells in your inside, a transformation really takes place. That the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. That the things I uh, could not overcome, now I overcome. When I got saved years ago, I used to think, well, you know, and it's been 30 years now. Maybe five years into my salvation, I would not have to fight big fights of faith. You know, it would come to the point that everything would be so easy, so simple. Nothing would happen. Well, years have elapsed, and I found just the opposite. That as 
I grow in the Lord, as I grow in wisdom and knowledge and maturity and revelation and excellence, then bottles continue to increase. And sometimes they become nastier and stronger and bigger bottles. In other words, there's no such thing as it would be easier. Now, what I did find is that the bottles that used to be hard for me years ago, now they're easier. Because as you get stronger, you conquer the things. And at the same time, I have a saying that says, when you go to new levels, new devils. I mean, as you purpose something greater for God, you face different challenges. But the good thing that God is there for you and for me to help us conquer the things. When the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthen me. All this stuff about doing, about conquering. It ultimately depends on the ability of doing it through the knowledge of Christ. Because that is the most powerful virtue that you and I can have in life. Now, you know, this is something that is really just incredible. God wants us to partake of his divine nature. If you had a time machine to take me back to my biblical time, to take me time to any biblical time, you come up to me and say, Pastor Juan, here is a time machine. I can take you to any biblical time. I would say, okay. But then you would say to me, which one of the prophets or the apostles you would like to be? And I would say to you, my brother, thank you for the offer. But I would not like to be like any of them. I would like to be me myself. I would like to believe in, in this season. And the reason why is because all those prophets and apostles, they looked forward to this time in which you and I are living today they dreamed about these times and long to have what you and i have a more complete revelation a bigger establishment of god's kingdom you know they dream about seeing salvations in mass healings in mass transformations marriages restored the gospel being spoken through every mean possible into every culture and every continent a more complete revelation of the person of christ that we have today you know better covenant better promises better Promises based on present truth and present reality. You and I are living in one of the most outstanding seasons in history. So don't try to go back because the key of Christianity is never to go back. It's going forward. You know, and there's an amazing thing that happens when you move ahead. As I travel, I have learned that today people know more about God's word. Listen to this. God's prophecy, eschatology, than they know about the person of Christ himself. I know about, I come in contact with a lot of wonderful people that have an outstanding knowledge, in manejo, as we say in Spanish, of the word of God and uh, historical events than they do about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I usually go to places and challenge them and say, get and get and grow in the knowledge of who he is in your life. My spiritual mentor, one of them was Dr. T.L. Osborne. That man, I mean, I learned a lot from that man. You know, and that man used to say all the time, Christianity is a believing lifestyle. It's just about believing. It's just about believing. And when the Bible says that God has given us the measure of faith, what that really means is that some people think that God gave a little bit more faith to that brother than to me or uh, gave me more faith than you. And that's not what it says there when it says to each one of us been given the measure of faith. What it's really saying is that God... You are the one that measures. It's like if I have 10 tape measures here and throw it to 10, 10 of you and they measure 25 feet each and I ask you to build something, you're the one that measures. Some of you are going to build me a table that is about 4 feet, other one 6 feet, another 8. So ultimately God gave to each one of us his power, his faith, but it's up to us to really measure the size of where we believe God for or what we expecting that God would do in our life.
I need you guys to make me aware of the clock because I'm a big talker. And it's 10.54. And what time the service ends? Four o'clock. Oh, my goodness. No. So, so, so I'm 11.30. Oh, so I have, okay. I have like 35 minutes. So going back, it is a very wonderful thing. Now, there are some things that I, that I want to show you here. In the Bible, nothing is written irresponsibly. God is a God of prophetic accuracy and prophetic diligence. Everything has a special purpose, has a special order. It all makes sense and everything fits perfectly in the Bible. The Bible is a book of mysteries. Somebody said to me on one occasion, Bible is a book of mysteries. Yeah, it's full of mysteries everywhere. You know, 1 Corinthians 4.1 says something here. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So you and I are a steward and administrator of the mysteries of God. When you read the Bible, it says that the gospel is a mystery. Love is a mystery. Paul said to Timothy that faith was a mystery. Marriage is one of the biggest mysteries in life. I can tell you that. Speaking in tongues is a mystery. Godliness. The Bible says that great is the, is the mystery of godliness. Because somebody said, how can godliness be a mystery? I said, it is really a ministry. It's a big mystery. It is a mystery to love and forgive someone that hurts you, someone that hates you, someone that doesn't have anything to do with you, and yet you're showing the best. It is a mystery when you repay evil for good. That's what godliness is, because it's not in human nature to do those things. But because you and I have the nature of Christ, then you do those things. Then you do what in your own nature you will never be able to do, but it all has to do with awareness. Dr. T. Osborne's wife used to say that we need to walk every day with the awareness of Christ. If I'm sitting at home, am I going to watch that TV show or that movie? Would I watch it if Jesus was sitting with me? Would I invite the Lord Jesus to see that movie? If I would not invite him, then I would not watch it because I'm aware that he's with me. He's in me. He walked with me. You see the whole point? So the awareness of Christ is incredible. If I'm aware of Christ, I really have to love my wife. Because he said that I need to love her as Christ loved the church. If I'm aware of the love of Christ, if I'm aware of Christ, I love my pastor. Because pastors, we work really hard. And it's a, it's a profession that we're so misunderstood. You know, if, if I'm aware of Christ, you know, there's so many things that do. If I'm aware of Christ, I forgive. Because unforgiveness is like to drink in poison and wishing the other person would die. You know, in other words, the awareness of Christ is key in our lives. You know, it makes you live a better Christian life. And it makes you walk in an amazing supernatural ability. One day I was walking by on a bicycle and I see a bunch of people on the street. And I see what happens. And when I drew near on a bike, there's a lady with an epilepsy attack right there. Now I study, I'm a biologist. I could have deferred to my books and say, you know, the nomenclature and say this is an epilepsy maybe you know who knows and define it clinically or medically and I will be all correct but I saw those people trying to help and trying to put you know like her tongue out and things like that and in the middle of that that famous bumper sticker that we like to put in our car that says WWWJD what would Jesus do I mean came into my head and said would Jesus diagnose the epilepsy would Jesus give a glass of water or would Jesus rebuke that thing and I got off my back and said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority of this spirit of infirmity. And it's come out of her. 
And she began to contort, contort, contort. People looked at me like, this guy's crazy. And the lady was at the biggest peace of her life. You know, just the awareness of Christ. And you think, well, pastor, you're blessed with that power, that anointing. No, you have that inside of you. But it all has to do with awareness. You have power to conquer anything you want. I mean, provided that you do it in the light of what God says it can be done, how God says it can be done, and in the spirit that is supposed to be done. Because you know what? If I serve you the best piece of meat, but I, and I cook it for you, and I serve the best sirloin steak, the best Ruth Chris steak, but I serve it to you on my dog's plate, you won't eat it. You know, so truth is powerful, but delivery is even much more powerful. How do you, how do you deliver truth? It really has a transforming power. So, you know what? You have that in you. You have the ability to shake hell. The Lord says that the gates of hell shall not prevail. I mean, against the thing. When the Bible says, you know, I sometimes say to the, the people I mentor that we talk about that Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have you ever thought about that statement? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know what that means? If he's the King of Kings, then you're a king. He's, you're one of the kings over with Jesus is king. You're one of the lords that Jesus is Lord over. Because he's the king. And that's what the Bible said. That he has made us kings and what? And priests. And the Bible says that we're royal priesthood. And notice that the Bible in the order that says it. It doesn't say that we're priests and kings. The first thing it says we're kings and priests. Then it says that we're royal priesthood. It doesn't say we're priestly royalty. In other words, it's putting kingship before priesthood and what it's really saying is you know you are who you are because i am who i am i don't know if you understand you know that idea i mean we would never be greater than jesus but we could be like him that's what said the apostle paul just be like me follow me as i follow christ and a follower of christ ultimately becomes like him you know this is a very powerful idea. Here's what Proverbs 25, 2 says. It says, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the glory of kings is to search out a matter. There's another translation that says, it is the glory of God to conceal a word. And that's the most accurate translation. I had the privilege to study Hebrew. And in the original Hebrew, that verse, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing or a matter, but the glory of kings to search our matter. In Hebrew, it says, And that word, davar, means word. And what it really means is the glory of God to conceal a word. But it is the glory of kings to search out, to discover, to go to the revelation of what that really means. What does that really mean to me? The the revelation of the word of God in your life brings honor to you. It really does. God honors those who understand spiritual truth. When you understand spiritual truth, God honors that. There are seven things that I'm not going to speak today, but I'm going to call them out to you that I deeply believe in. That I believe with all of my heart. Now, I believe in a lot of things like every human being. I believe in a lot of things. But there are about six or seven or eight things that I believe with all of my heart because they're proven things that I know that work. And one of the things is, I'm going to read them to you. I believe in the supernatural power of God. I have really seen it. I believe in faith to move mountains. I believe in personal divine revelation. In other words, faith and revelation is like your toothbrush. 
It will not do you any good if you brush your teeth with my toothbrush. I mean, faith is personal. Revelation is personal. Something that is a revelation to me, unless it becomes a revelation to you, it really doesn't have any transforming power. I also believe in divine favor. I have walked in that all my life. I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of forgiveness. It's an amazing thing. I believe in the power of the spoken word. And I believe in refraining your tongue from evil. I believe that from all of my heart. And also I believe in peace and prosperity and in supernatural provision. I can tell you that because I grew up in a place that has so much poverty. And I prosper so much. And I'm going to tell you how. And I'm going to tell you why. But the first point here is I believe in the supernatural power of God. I can, you know, have several books back there, you know, that I can uh, you put at your disposal, like the Sato Pork and all these books are in Spanish, because I figured out that I had so much to give to my culture, and I wrote a lot of things that God did to empower and help my Latino, Hispanic culture, you know, but I've really seen God do so many things in my life, and somebody asked me, are you one of those people that is a fanatical? I said, yes, I am a fanatical of Christ, because before I knew the Lord, I was working in one of the greatest research centers in Cuba, in the Institute of Medical, of Tropical Medicine. I was uh, uh, working in biology, purifying monoclonal antibodies uh, to uh, purify and isolate four serotypes of dengue virus. I did a national thesis. I was a brilliant student. So I was very analytical. I was very rational. And one day I heard the voice of God sort of speaking to me, saying, you know, uh, you know that some people suffer from the paralysis of the analysis, you know, because sometimes being too analytical, it really paralyzes you because there's some things that you're not supposed to figure it out. There's some things that you're not supposed to know all the details. You know, the Bible said that the devil is in the details. God is also in the details, but we should be uh, more embracing the whole thing. There are some things that you're going to learn today, some things you're going to learn tomorrow. That's what the Lord said. There's so many things now you cannot handle, but later on as you grow mature, you'll be able to handle those things. So I said to this person, when I got saved, it's not that I went to the opposite end. When I got saved, the Lord brought me to the middle. In other words, I'm not a super spiritual, crazy, fanatical guy of manifestations, but I'm not also a super analytical, a paralyzed thinker. I'm more like in the middle. You know, I'm, you know, and it's an amazing challenge to bring the truth and the power of God to the center. But it works so well for all of us because it makes you live and have the best of both worlds. But I want to give you a few examples of what I mean by the supernatural. Years ago, back in 1992, and I'm going to go really quickly because I have my heart full. The, the Cuban government gave me a visa to come visit America. And I was at a time in a high position of leadership in the Methodist Church in Cuba. And I was 26 years old, 27 years old when I first came. You know, a lot of Cubans used to come, drown in the Strait of Florida, do a lot of things to come to freedom. You know, so God made it very easy for me. I went to the U.S. interest section because there's not an embassy there in Havana when everybody was denied visas. And I have been fasting and praying for that because the Methodist Church in Kansas uh, city in the Kansas West Conference made me an invitation. And they say, you know, young people don't get visas. But I had a revelation in my heart. You know, in a revelation, let me just define for you revelation. Revelation is when you finally uh, see when you have been observing for years. You know, it's when your eyes really boom, um, you open up. Sometimes you look at something, look at but one day you have an aha uh -huh 
moment. That's what a revelation is. That's what happened in the world. Have you ever been reading a Bible verse for years and it's cute, it's poetic, it's romantic, but one day you go, huh? You know, aha, that's a, that's a revelation. It became life to you. It became meaningful. It ceased to be just a saying. It became a life-giving, life-transferring knowledge to your life. That's what a revelation is. So I had had a revelation that God was with me. And I thought, I'm going to get a visa. And I went to the U.S. intersection. And when I got there, in five minutes, I got a visa. Then people said, how do you do that? I said, I just didn't do it. God told me he was going to do it. Because some people think that God doesn't speak today. Well, God speaks today. And he, really, he has not ceased speaking. I mean, all we have to do, somebody told me, you know, I don't hear the voice of God that often. I said, that's because you're not reading God's word that often. Because that's his word. If you would camp a little bit more in his word, you would hear more his voice. You know, and uh, I just got a visa and I came to the States. And when I came here, I came to Miami. I did my conference, came to Miami. I had a lot of friends here. They were driving me crazy. Telling me that I needed to stay. And I have prophets, apostles, teachers telling me, uh, reasoning with me, God opened. This is what they used to say to me. What are the chances of God giving a visa to somebody like you young? Doesn't that tell you that that was God? And I knew it was God. But to what extent was God giving me a visa to stay here? That was a different story. And I remember that day before I flew back to Cuba, I was in so much turmoil. And I was in this apartment with a bunch of pastors. Prophet sat over me, stay, God is going to use in this country. And I went into the, the bathroom with the, the excuse, I'm going to take a shower. And I put the toilet top down and I put my elbows there, knelt and began to cry. I said, Lord, I do not know what to do. And I heard a voice of God telling me, if you go, I bless you. If you stay, I bless you. It's really up to you. But here's the thing. I have made a promise and I had a commitment to the other people in my team that I would not defect here. Because my defection here meant that then the U.S. intersection would not give visas to any other of those people in my team. So sometimes when you walk in integrity yeah. and when you walk in transparency, doing the right thing is going to be very costly to you. But if you do what is right, God understands that at the end, he will make it very good for you. He will make it right. I mean, that's when the Bible said that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. doesn't say that works universally. It's the power that works in us. That thing has to work inside of you. And I went ahead and I made it in my mind. I'm going to return. That was crazy. And when I flew back to Cuba and I landed at that Havana International Airport. And every people was dressed in verde olivo. I mean, in that olive green uniform. They were sitting with that mean looking face. You know, I was coming back to America. I gained 20 pounds in two months here. Well, can you believe that? I was starving to death. I was seven... 27 years old, and I ate so much everything. I even raw food. I didn't know it was raw. But I came, I, I was so hungry. I ate all kinds of bread, all kinds of good. I even ate dog food. Everything you can possibly imagine. Dog food tasted for me better than picadillo so in Havana. You know, so it was incredible. And I gained 20 pounds. And when I got there at the airport, I was, I looked good, healthy, younger, red. And, you know, people didn't like that glowing image. You know, they treated me like dirt. And I had a thought at the airport in Havana. Oh, gosh, what did I do? But again, the inner voice came, you know, you, you did the right thing. So then when I got there, I got an invitation to go to a town called Manzanillo, the eastern part of Cuba, to speak about the power of God. And when I went there, this was a little church, had about 40 people. And I spoke 10 days in the city. I had only one pair of shirts, one pair of shoes. 
that shirt had to be washed every night because we used to sweat like pigs in there preaching. I had to wash it every night with no soap. The pastor didn't have any soap. I had to hang it. They didn't have a dryer. And then the next morning, uh, you know, there was no electricity to have an iron. That's in the middle of, you know, so I had to apologize. I thought I'm going to apologize, but then when I get to church, everybody's wrinkled. You know, so there was no reason to make an apology. So I will get up there to speak. And I spoke consistently for 10 days. And then the police came and shot me down in one city called Pilon. And then I went to a place called Manzanillo. And I spoke for four days. The last day, I can't wait to get out of there. I really didn't care whether people got saved, healed, delivered. I just didn't care. I wanted to go home. I was 27 years old. I exhausted, tired. I had lost all my good 20 pounds I had gained here. I went back to who I really was. You know, nothing happiness lasts so little. You know, that's. But the last day of my meeting, the Methodist Church has seats on the side, seats on the side, and a big, uh, it's a big aisle in the middle. There's a lady, young lady, 55 years old, maybe 60, on a wheelchair in the middle of the central aisle, and next to her, like a 22-year-old boy. And when I done my altar call for salvation, two people raise their hand, get saved. When I'm gonna dismiss the service, saying Hallelujah, two people got saved. I'm done. I heard again the voice of God. That's why some people don't like to pray. Because they figured if I pray, God will speak to me. And I may not be willing to do what God asked me to do. You know, because prayer has consequences. Every time you pray, that unleashes a spiritual movement. Something happens. A process begins. If you pray for humility, don't pray for humility, please. The next day, somebody will humiliate you. Don't do that. Don't pray for patience either. Now what is going to take you a week will take you three months. Don't do those prayers. Because prayer really unleashes a process. It starts a process. And I have been praying for revival. And I didn't know that God had heard me and he was making it happen. And when I'm about to step down, I heard the voice of God again. That says, go and raise that lady from the wheelchair. Now, automatically, my scientific medical thing in my head was kicking the idea. <laughs> raise from the wheelchair. Do you know how those tendons, ligaments, and bones, and think, you know how the spinal cord, you know, those signals to the brain are not getting there. <laughs> you think you're going to raise. And I began to have that conflict. But I heard the voice of God. Do it. And that gift of faith operated on me. And that's what the Bible said, that he gave to some gifts of faith, other ones of healings, of miracles, for the perfecting of the saints. And I went down in this conviction, this supernatural conviction. Now, don't stumble over the word supernatural. Because what is supernatural for us, for us, for God is natural. I don't know if you understand that. Notice that it's supernatural. What it really means is that that super is what God had. Supernatural is God's action. Joining your action. That's what it is. It's God's adding to what you do. Natural is you, but super is what God adds. You know, God asks you, do what is possible. I will do what is impossible. That's what supernatural is. I mean, for me, healing is something supernatural because I'm nobody. I can heal nobody. But for God, that's the realm in which God lives. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to believe God for $100,000 that I may need for ministry. But that's just penance for God. How many $100 do you think God has? Uh, that God has all of them. Bible says he's the owner of silver and gold. So it's just changing the thinking from the natural way into the supernatural way. The supernatural way doesn't mean weird. It doesn't mean irrational. Supernatural way simply means that you acknowledge that the God creator that created this universe has more resources, tools, and means than you do to accomplish that which you feel is impossible for you. Do you understand now? That's what supernatural means. It's not irrational. You know, and I went down and I laid my hands on the lady. I said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command you, rise up. And I heard her bones cracking. 
And a lady stood up in front of me. And as amazed the people were, I was more amazed. I had never seen that in my life. And she walked out of that wheelchair, began to jump and jump and jump. And you know what happens? An amazing revival took place. Long story short, I went to the airport that night. It was a flight, flight 105. It was flying back to Havana at 12 o'clock from Manzanillo to Havana. A vuelo called Aerocaribbean. And when I got to the airport, I thought, amazing ministry. Two people saved. One lady raised from a wheelchair. What else can I ask? I didn't know what God was really getting me into it. The flight would not leave. The flight would not leave. And I'm, you know, and people begin to curse at the airport. You know, and curse and all this stuff. And the flight would not leave. And there was not a bathroom. And I needed to go to the bathroom. We were inside the airport. So, you know, there's some trees on the back. There are also restrooms. And I said to the pastor, I'm going to go use the restroom on the back. She said, what restroom? Well, the trees on the back. Dogs use them anyway. You know, so I went back there. I had drunk a lot of water. There was nothing to it, just water. And I went and back there. And when I'm doing what I'm supposed to, I hear this voice next to me, like somebody said to me, Jonas, Jonah. And I kind of covered myself thinking, somebody is mistaking me for somebody and is calling me. And I looked around, it was nobody. So, okay, I kept doing my thing and the voice got closer and louder. Jonas. And the second time, it didn't take three times. The second time I understood, that guy was speaking to me. And I went back to the car where the pastor was with his family. And I told him, you know what? I just heard the voice of God. And God told me to stay here in the city with you and continue these meetings. They began to shout hallelujah. And as soon as I said that, a voice in the speaker report says, Peasant, uh, uh, all the passengers uh, bound to Havana on Flight 105 or Caribbean. So why don't you know that your plane is ready to go? <laughs> I understood one thing. Your disobedience, your disobedience can cause a lot of damage. Let me tell you that. When God calls you a point and separate, you're this, you have to have, you have to fine tune your ear. And not only that, because of me, people were cursing the name of God. Because I was so tired, I didn't want to stay. And God needed me in that place. Here's the other thing I learned that is big over the years. When you have a good heart and have a lot of knowledge, you think that God sends you where people need you. But when you grow in his revelation, you learn something different. God doesn't send you where people need you. God sends you where he needs you. It's a big difference. The first one sounds very holy and very humble where people need me. But you'll never be able to meet everybody's need. So God usually sends you where he needs you. Because his purpose is greater than yours. And I went back to that place, Church of 40. Stay five, let me make a long story short. Stay five days more. In five days, we have 8,000 people. The church sat about 250. We removed the pews out. You know, we were about two blocks away from a hospital called Celia Sanchez Mandule. The parsonage was next to the church. I used to go to pray every single night. The service began at 8.30. At 4 o'clock, we have people lining up, sick people. The, you see the intensive care unit of the hospital brought all their people down. And at 4 o'clock, they were lining up, and we used to give them tickets. You know, paralytics, crippled people uh, were the first ones to sit in two pews that we have put for them, and the rest were people standing. And I preached a message of about 20, 25 minutes, just evangelism about the goodness of Christ, and then I commanded the sick to be healed. People jumped out of wheelchairs. People, the things I saw there with my eyes. But that's what the Bible says, what we have seen with our eyes, handled with our hands, heard with our ears. 
regarding the word of life. This we communicate to you because the life was manifested to us. And that was one of the most powerful, because of that, that landed me in jail. That's just to give you an idea. But I saw the supernatural power of God. Then the secret service came. It used to be called the, the Black Wasp, Las Avispas Negras. They got there, and they said, we want that little pastor dead or alive. The church had to hide me. For today, it was a nightmare. I ended up at the headquarters of the Seguriel Estado in Manzanillos two days later. It was a nightmare. You know, they threatened me to kill me. They said, oh, can't sin. There was a guy that cursed me, that in the middle of the congregation, he's the guy that sparked a revival. I didn't. There was a guy that came. They used to call him El Albino. Then he developed a cancer. And he stood up in front of the congregation, and he said to me, Descarado, Christ doesn't heal anybody. This is a dead religion. And I used to kind of shut my eye and don't pay attention to him. Till that day, I just got really mad and said, if Jesus is not alive, if this is a deception, what I'm teaching, after I pray for the sick, nothing's going to happen. And then that will be a confirmation that I'm a liar. But after I pray for the sick and rebuke demons and devils and gave an order and a word of command to be healed, if people, the paralytics jump out of the wheelchair, blind eyes are open and deaf ears are open, then this is the living Christ and judgment is going to come upon you. And it, it happened just like that. I was driving around here in Miami when I moved about five years ago. From Jacksonville, and I walked in a building to rent, and this person looks at me straight in the eye. I said, are you Juan Carlos? I said, yes. He said, you know who I am? I said, I have no idea. He said, I was in Manzanillo campaign back in 1992. And he said, you know what happened to the albino? I said, albino, who albino? The guy that said who thinks about you? I said, no. He said, two months later, he developed a cancer in his mouth and his stomach, and he came to the church and asked Paul forgiveness for what he did to you in the church. You know, that's just incredible. That's what I believe in refraining your tongue from evil. So, but not only that, I had no way to return back to Havana. My dad was very sick, was dying. He died from a heart attack at age 76. And my mom called me and said, if you don't come here, you will not see your dad. Transportation was bad at that time in Cuba. In the 90s, when the whole, it used to be called Periodo Especial, a special period, it was very difficult. And I went to a place called Holguin. And in that place called Holguin, there was an airport called El Fran Pais. And when I get there and hope to get something, the airport, I see nobody, two or three Ladas, that's the name of the Russian cars that people had. I walk through the door of the airport, and there's a military lady almost sleeping, leaning on the counter. And I woke up to her all because I had talked to my mama. I said, your dad is dying. And I was very tears. I said, Lord, I just don't understand. After I've done this for you, I'm not going to see my dad. And the lady, when I said, you know, I need a flight to Havana, she almost laughed in my face. I said, flight to Havana? I said, son, this airport is closed. There's nothing here. I mean, I said, my dad, there's nothing here. And when she said that, I turned back to a wall. It was a glass wall. And I put my face, then I began to cry. And I said, Lord, you know, you promised me. You know, you promised me that I was going to see my dad. You sent me here to do this stuff. And I hear a noise, and I turn back, and I see this door opens, and two military people come out of there, and they're arguing. And I hear one saying, Por eso en este país nada funciona bien. Esto está todo desorganizado. That's the reason why in this country nothing works well. This is all a lack of organization. You know, I mean, people have it all wrong. And I pick up the argument. And then they begin to talk to the lady in the counter. And about five minutes later, I'm still there. I don't know why I stood there. The lady calls me and said to me, you know, she's a mayor in the military. I have one big star. She said to me, you know, are you a religious guy? I said, well, it all depends on what you call religion. 
uh, I said, I'm not a religious guy, but I am a deputy. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm under his commission. I have the authority. I have his commandment. And he has deputized me to speak the truth, the good news of the gospel of Christ to every nation in the world. And I was here in this part of the world preaching in a church. And she said to me this word. She said, well, that God that you believe in has got to be powerful. And I looked at her. And she said to me, you know, we have a brand new plane. It's called An 26. It's a Russian plane. They used to be scared of those planes. You fly and bulls come out of the wings and things like that. It was incredible. This crew's coming out. A lot of noise, a lot of air in the cabins. You know, oh, my goodness. Those are our float flies. My wife can tell you uh, this is not a place to be. You develop a gift speaking in tongues if you fly in one of those. <laughs> That's really how scared it is. And, but she said to me, there's a Russian plane, a brand new there. And we just got a phone call from the Central Command in Miami that there's a group of 25 Canadian businessmen, investors that want to come here to Hogan. And we just got a phone call from the command center to fly that plane to Havana to pick him up. I want to put you in that plane by yourself. And they put me in that plane by myself. And I flew with the whole crew to Havana with my briefcase. When I landed at the airport in Havana with that briefcase, people came up to me thinking I was a, you know, a president or something because that's not usual. That's what God did for me. So I do believe in the supernatural power of God. I just believe that God does things that are out of your ability. But he does it. Because that's the way he does it. I believe when this guy came to our church. And the doctor who know that. Uh, came to our church. His name was Ronald Andion. Lo tenía en el hospital in the el oncológico. The cancer treatment center in Havana. In a place called Bedaro. The kid was dying. His head was all, His brain was full of tumors. Speech, vision, everything was done. And his mom brought him because doctor said, take him home so he can die at home with you. You know, and the mom on the way home walked by our church and heard the noise. You know, the happiness, people jumping up and down, declaring, prophesying, thanking God. And she walked inside the church and cried. And she said, you know, my son is dying. And I said, do you believe that God? And she said, I believe that God can do it. And I remember the voice of God telling me, as a lady... Let me tell you, believing that God can, it does, it's, it's not going to give you a miracle. Because who doesn't know in the whole world that God can do anything? The Bible says you believe that there's one God, you do well, but even, even demons believe and tremble. So believing in God, it's just, it makes sense. There's no merit for believing in God. Look up the stars, and you cannot be an atheist anymore. Atheists are atheists because they don't have a star sky. They live in the city. They have a lot of lies. But when you live in the country, then you're not an atheist anymore. As soon as you look up to the sky, you know, and I said, God is a real, it's not just believing that God can, that will give you a miracle. It's believing that God wants. Because the, the power of God cannot be claimed unless the will of God is known. When you go to a restaurant, you have to know what's in the menu to order. You need to know what God offers in his word. To put your faith behind it and believe God for that. If you believe, Jesus said to him who believe all things, how many things? All things are possible. That means that if everything is possible with God, that makes you a person of great possibilities. And she said, I believe that God can, and I believe that God wants. And we pray for that boy. He was supposed to die in a week. Today he's about 24 years old, and he's an engineer. I believe in the supernatural power of God. Now, to move on quickly, because we have five minutes left, or ten, I don't know. Uh, we, you know, I also believe... In faith to move mountains. I'm not going to talk about that because it's a law. You know. But do you remember the story of Abraham? How many of you remember the story of God asking Abraham to count the stars? 
Huh? You know, I read the scripture wrong for 20 years until revelation came. We all think that God called Abraham at night, right? Come and count the stars. So we think that it was at night. Hey, well, haven't you thought that before? It's okay. I did two to a few months ago. And I taught it. <laughs> God have mercy. But God didn't call Abraham at night to count the stars. That's what we think. That's what we infer. Because for us, it's normal to count the stars at night. But not for God. And how do I know that? If you look it up in your Bible, that's very interesting. Genesis 15, 5. You can read it. It says that the Lord brought him outside and said, when I read that outside and said, I thought, well, outside of his tent, because it's night, Abraham's sleeping. And God said, look now towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. But then when I read verse 12, the revelation came on me. If you put verse 12 right there, you're going to see. Now when the, sun was, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. It was during the day, midday, when God asked Abraham, come out and count the stars. If you can number, that's what God says, si la puedes contar, if you can number them. Because in that area it's hot. And people are inside their tent to protect themselves from the sun, the scorching sun of midday. So Abraham is in his tent. And God said, just come out. Count the stars. Abraham looked up and said, I can't. It's day. Because he says, now when the sun was going down. So you know what is the story behind that? That God is trying to teach Abraham, the father of multitudes, the father of the faith. And he said, Abraham, if you want to walk in the supernatural, you have to see it invisible. I mean, you have to believe that it is there even though you may not see it. You have to believe it's there. You may not see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. That's the case with Hagar. Hagar went out to the wilderness. And the Bible says that she was, she ran out of water. She had no water in the canteen. She's about to die of thirst. And you think there was no water in the desert. That's wrong. There was plenty of water. When her child cried up to God. He cries, God hears his voice, and then the Bible said that God opened her eyes, and she saw a water fountain in front of her. There was plenty of water. The problem is that she didn't see it. And I feel to tell you that there's a lot of blessings you have in front of you ready to be revealed, and you're going to see them. It's a lot of things you're believing God for that you think they're impossible. They're right there in front of you. You're going to open. One day you're going to get up this week with your eyes open. And that which you didn't see, you're going to see it in front of you. You're going to say, Lord, it was in front of me for a long time. And I didn't even notice it was there. That salvation of your family you're believing God for. That money that you need to build what you That healing that you're believing God for. Lord, it was right there. How come I didn't see it? You know, it's just that, you know. Helen Keller was, you know, that famous Helen Keller, the writer, she was asked on one occasion, what is, because she, she was born blind. And they said to her, what is worse than being born blind? And you know what she said? Having sight with no vision. That is worse than being born blind. Having sight with no vision. You have to have a vision for the invisible. That's what the Bible says of Moses sustained himself as seeing the invisible. Just the fact that you don't see doesn't mean it's not there. God was trying to make a point across to Abraham. Come out. 
Count the stars. If you can, number them. Then, and Abraham said, and then the Bible said, Abraham believed God. You know what he believed? There are stars up there even though I don't see them. So when God tells you something even though you don't see it, believe God. Say, Lord, I may not see it, but I know that is right there. And that's actually what the Bible says. Things that I have not seen, that here have not heard, not have entered into the hearts of man are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, I'm sorry. Next time I talk to you about divine favor, prayer, the power of forgiveness, sp spoken word, and the power of refraining your tongue from evil. And then I talk to you about peace, prosperity, and the supernatural provision. And oh, these are stuff that we didn't read in a book. In other words, I'm not teaching somebody else's message or a CD series that I get impacted me, and I'm just saying that to you. This is stuff that we have lived. We have walked this stuff. We really have. I mean, we have really lived this stuff. You know, and we have believed God for so many things, and we had no other choice because we had a lot of... I mean, you're looking at an individual that had a lot of limitations in life. I was so screwed up mentally, uh, emotionally, everything that you can possibly. Yet I was very smart. You know that you can be smart and stupid at the same time? <laughs> I mean, or you can be, you know, smart and mentally screwed up too. You know, people that are very intelligent, you know, they're always camping somewhere. You know, so when Jesus came into my life, uh, he's really made a difference. So I am not a special individual. You look at me, I have nothing special. I usually say to people, every virtue that you see in me is not mine. It's borrowed. I belong from God. You know, but everything you see in me that you don't like, that's mine. I mean, I, God had nothing to do with that. You know, but I just want to encourage you. This is a great ministry. It's a great church. You guys are great people. You have great pastors. You have all the ingredients for making this ministry boom, explode, multiply. To buy a building cash, buy land cash. Go ahead and tell your pastor, we want to give money to buy a piece of land. And we want to build our own church. want to build our house. You know, he would never ask you that because he's a humble man. He's strong, but he's not a man that likes to pressure, in a sense, people. You know, but he deserves that. And you deserve that too. Build your own place. Believe God for a huge school in here. I mean, for something powerful. And please don't jump churches. Don't kill yourself by jumping churches. God rooted you here, planted you here. There's not going to be a better church anywhere else in Miami. But this one that God planted you is a good ministry. I mean, we always think that the yard is greener somewhere else. Wrong. I mean, don't just try to, you know, pick on what you don't like to make a big deal out of that. Don't do that. I mean, be loyal and stay faithful to this vision, this ministry. Let your family grow here. Increase, multiply. That's the greatest blessing of all. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's have a time of prayer. You know, and I want to just tell you that we have some great books. Other, other perspective on spiritual warfare is bad that it's in Spanish. Uh, the healing power that sets you free. For people that are sick, this is amazing. And unleash the power within you. This is Sanidad Interior, Inner Healing. Incredible series. You're going to love that. And living life in the spirit, my beautiful wife Kim. So help yourself back there. But I want to have this moment, these five minutes to pray. And if you can, you know... Uh, bow your head down for a little bit. And i like to see if there's anybody here that visits us for the first time, second time, or third time, you know, and, uh, but you have not made a decision for Christ yet, you know. Uh, you're getting closer every single day to Him, and you're believing that He might be the answer for you. 
uh, I have to tell you that he's the answer for you. He didn't bring you here this morning. Uh, it was no coincidence. Uh, it's just God that orchestrates, you know, our path. And you're here because he loves you, has a plan for your life. And God also likes to correct people's path and instruct. So you said to me, uh, Pastor Juan Carlos, I want to make a decision for Christ this morning. I want to receive Christ in my heart as Lord and Savior. Rather, right will you just lift up your hand? I would like to pray for you. I mean, don't be embarrassed, ashamed, or anything because there's nothing to be ashamed of. I mean, you don't get ashamed when somebody gives you a million dollars. You know, so there's no reason to be ashamed when you say, I want to receive Christ in my heart as Lord and Savior. Somebody here for the first time that likes to receive Christ that has not done it before. And today you say, Pastor, that's me. Let me slip up your hand. God bless you. I'm proud of you for that decision. God bless you too. God bless you too. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm very, very happy that you guys are doing that. Thank you so much. And I think that's going to be something great. Now, how do you guys do it? I mean, do you guys take him back or you pray for them right here? I want to make sure. Yeah. You know, this is one last thing I'm going to ask. You guys can stand up here just for a minute. Please stand up. And I want you to meet me right here because I want to pray for you. Yeah, come here. Just come here. Sir, it's a privilege to meet you. You know what I see in your life? I'm a prophet of God. I have the ability to see. And I see you having a past that was so twisted, contorted, confused. But I see God fixing things in your life and surrounding you with so many different things, new things. Now, listen to me. He's going to give you a new relationship. People that really value, respect you, and love you. I mean, I don't know what that means to you or that translates to you. But uh, you, you, God is going to increase your self-worth. You're so valuable. Just trust me. You are a diamond. And God brought you here for me to tell you this. You're a diamond. And he's going to grow you. You're going to grow in the church. Christ is going to come into your heart. And all those things that are twisted, all those legal things, everything, that is not working well. God is going to fix it for good in your life. Do you believe that? Was I saying something right or something wrong? Everything. And why is that? I'm not a medium. You know, don't confuse but you know, what the Bible talks about the gift of revelation, where God can see the heart of people, and you do have a good heart. You have a great heart. You're very easy to deceive and lie to, because you believe anything, and you fall prey of people's powerful mind and influence, you know. And uh, But now you're going to fall under the influence of an amazing, powerful God, and He's going to make out of you an amazing testimony. You're going to be changing people's life, talking into people's life. Never forget that. That is going to happen. I mean, what's your name? Robin? Robin, give me a hug. So proud of you, man. That's a blessing. Now, who you are? You're his brother, his friend? Oh, you're his brother. I bet you've been praying for him. Or you want to receive Christ for the first time too? Oh, that's really wonderful. I'm proud of you too. But you know what? God has even a bigger thing with you. You're, you're a very smart guy. And you like to care to people and tender and advice and counsel. I mean, what God has for you, ready? Oh, Lord in heaven. Prepare for a lot of growth and pain and but it's gonna be a good pain and your name their mom you're too young to be their mom well you had him at 10 or 12 <laughs> oh well that's my mom how everybody in my family is 16 and 17 so my mom looks so good and my sister looked like my mom's sister but you know what